this morning, um, uh, I want to talk a little bit and look at the book of 1 John. So in my Bible reading plan, I've been reading 1 John this week, um, just finished it yesterday, and it's, it's full of statements that, um, that differentiate between those whom God has saved and those who are still lost in their sins, um, including those who claim to be believers but are not. For example, uh, 1 John 1.6 says, If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So these statements are designed to help us evaluate the genuineness of both our own faith and that of others who claim to have faith, and especially to give us assurance of our salvation. First uh, John 5.13 says, These things I have written to, you, uh, written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. Now, some of the statements in 1 John do a better job of reassuring us of our salvation than others. So I'd like to take a look at, at some of them and have people look them up. So uh, if somebody would like to look up uh, 1 John chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. Somebody have that? You guys, if you're willing to read, okay, that back there. That's chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. Okay, somebody else can look up. Chapter 2, verse 23. Right there. Oh, Vicky. All right. Someone else can look up chapter 3, verses 2 and 3. Got, okay. Someone else, chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. Okay. Someone else can look up Chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. We got Colleen or Titsi. You want to cut, you have Colleen? Sure. Okay, and then uh, chapter 4, verse 15. Do you want to get that one, Titsi? Okay. So and then there's also verse 16. You can, you can just read 15 and 16. Uh, chapter 4, verse 20. Justin. All right, chapter 5, verse 1. Okay, yep. And finally, chapter 5, verses 10 through 12. Okay. All right, so, uh, so the person who has chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, we can, do you read that for us? Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. And not eleven, yeah. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness, and does not know where he is going, because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Mm -hmm. So there we see a good a quite a contrast between the believer and the unbeliever, the one who 
is in the light, the one who is still in the darkness. And, and the evidence of that is loving your brother or sister in Christ, right? Or hate versus hating them. Okay, uh, chapter 2, verse 23. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. The one who confesses the Son has the Father also. Okay. So there is talking about denying versus confessing Jesus as Lord. And chapter 3, verse 2 to 3. Um, okay. Trying to find two. All right, beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall love Him. We shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as He is pure. Mm-hmm. So the one who hopes in him or the one who has set his hope on the fact that we're going to be like him, um, yeah, has purified himself, right? Okay, chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. And then the next verse too. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Right. So there we have a contrast between uh, those who have passed out of death into life, who uh, that's evidenced by loving your fellow believer, loving your brothers and sisters in Christ, versus uh, the one who hates his brother or sister in Christ and is still remaining in death. Okay. All right. Chapter 4, verse 2 and 3. Who's got that oh, one? that's me. Okay. By this, you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. Okay, so this is talking about the spirits, um, talking about knowing the Spirit of God, right? Uh, um, the Spirit of God confesses that Jesus uh, has come in the flesh uh, versus the Spirit of the Antichrist. It doesn't. Um, and this is in the context of, of really chapter 3, verse 24, and chapter 4, verse 1, which says, we know by this that he remains in us by the spirit whom he has given us. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. You know, so the spirit of God dwelling in us, we, we know that it's the spirit of God dwelling in us if he's, um, if he's confessing that Jesus has come in the flesh. You know, so, um, right. So, Chapter 4, verse 15 and 16. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him and he in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. 
Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. Okay, so there we have two different things. We're ta it's talking about both um, confessing Jesus as the Son of God and remaining in love. Um, yeah. Uh, chapter 4, verse 20. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Mm -hmm. So once again, it's talking about loving your brothers and sisters as evidence of salvation, um, and, and evidence of loving God. Chapter 5, verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, um, yeah, again, there's, there's evidence in believing that Jesus is the Christ and in, uh, in loving, uh, in loving God and loving uh, fellow believers. Uh, chapter 5, verses 10 and 12. All who believe in the Son of God know in their hearts that this testimony is true. Those who don't believe this are actually calling God a liar because they don't believe what God has testified about his Son. And this is what God has testified. He has given us eternal life, and, that, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have, this, whoever does not have God's Son does not have life. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you believe in the, if you believe in the Son of God, then you you're a believer. And um, if you do not believe in the Son of God, you're making you're basically making God to be a liar, right? Um, if you have the Son, you have life. If you don't have the Son, so these verses, all these verses we've read this morning, um, they present several things as evidence of genuine saving faith. Uh, Namely, believing in and confessing Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God, who came in human flesh, setting our hope on him, and loving our fellow believers, right? So, and I think when we look at these words, those, those things are pretty easy. I think we would all say, okay, we believe in Jesus. We believe that, that he's the Son of God. We believe that he came in the flesh, um, and I, I think we would say, okay, we all, we all love one another in, in the body and um, good evidence, right, that we're, that we're believers. And so these, those, when we read these things in 1 John, they're reassuring to us. They say, yes, okay, I am a believer. You know, um, uh, but there are other verses in the book that if we read them out of context or in certain translations, then they can cause us to entertain doubts about our salvation. If, you know, I mean, I don't know about you, if you've ever doubted your salvation. Um, I know I have. Uh, because it's not, it's not I, that I doubt um, that God keeps, you know, keeps his people safe and that, that, he, that he saves us through Jesus. But when you look at your own life sometimes, you think, how can I do that if I'm a believer? You know, you, you look, when you, when you look at your own sin and you look at the, some of the thoughts you entertain sometimes, you know, there's, um, really, I think we're all, as the, the kind of things that we don't want to admit to other believers, right? <laughs> you know, but we, we all think, hmm, you know, 
you have that sort of imposter mentality. Am I, am I, am I, do I really belong here? Um, you know, can I really be saved and do that? So one of these verses is, um, or set of verses is 1 John 2, verses 3 through 6. And it says, by this we know that we, have, that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever follows his word, in him the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. The one who says that he remains in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. Now this one might not cause some of you to doubt, because in general you are trying, you're, you're trying your best to keep his commandments. But some of us may be tempted to doubt as we see just how far, far we should fall short um, of, of keeping his commandments and walking just as he walked. That's a tall order. Uh, to, to walk just as Jesus walked. But as Steve pointed out two weeks ago in his message on perseverance of the saints, this is not talking about perfect, sinless obedience. No one can live exactly as Jesus lived and obey his commands perfectly. So we're going you know, to fall sometimes as we do our best to follow him. Another passage that can cause doubt is, is 1 John 5.18. Wait just a minute so you can turn to everyone. First John 5.18 says, We know that no one who has been born of God sins. And actually, that's just, okay, no, that is, sorry, I do have the whole verse here. Uh, but he who is born of God keeps him, and the evil one does not touch him. So that's pretty, pretty amazing statement. No one who, is born of, who has been born of God sins. And that, this verse makes it sound like anyone who has truly been born of God never sins because Jesus does not allow the devil to successfully tempt him. And read out of context, without the rest of Scripture, that could, you know, that could certainly make you think that. Okay, finally, uh, chapter 3, verses 4 through 9, have a number of statements that can cause doubts. All right, I'm, chapter 3, verses 4 through 9. Everyone who does sin also does lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. And you know that he was manifested in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him sins. No one who sins has seen him or has come to know him. Little children, let no one deceive you. The one who does righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does sin is of the devil, 
because the devil sins from the beginning. The Son of God was manifested for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. Everyone who has been born of God does not sin, because his seed abides in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. Now, this is from the Legacy Standard Bible produced by a team of faculty members of the Master's Seminary. Um, I don't doubt their biblical scholarship. Um, and I like the way they translate some things, but I feel that they fail to follow good translation principles in the translation of certain terms and in other areas. And I don't care for their, their translation of 1 John, especially this passage, which is why I chose to use this translation as an example. Um, so let's look again at, at the statements in this passage. It says, it's, everyone who does sin also does lawlessness. No one who abides in him sins. It does sound like that, doesn't it? No, no one who sins has seen him or has come to know him. The one who does righteousness is righteous. The one who does sin is of the devil. Everyone who has been born of God does not sin. He cannot sin. So those are all statements out of that passage. So these, these verses, as translated here, can present a challenge to Christians uh, who are acutely aware of their own sin and are honest with themselves. When I read statements like, everyone who has been born of God does not sin and cannot sin, and no one who sins has seen him or come, has come to know him, that gives me pause. Because I know that I'm certainly capable of sinning and guilty of sinning on a daily basis. I don't even think I can sleep without sinning. I mean, I think I sin in my dreams and everything. So, um, <laughs> uh, but when we take these verses in the context of the rest of the book and the rest of Scripture, then we realize that not sinning at all cannot be the, the correct understanding of these statements. First uh, John 1.8 says, If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. And Steve used both uh, this verse, 1 John 1, 8, and the longer passage we just looked at in his message two weeks ago to show that sinning, not, not sinning at all, is not the correct understanding. Um, but apart from the context of Scripture, how can we know with certainty that not sinning at all is, the correct, is not the correct understanding? What's that? Into the language. It's a yeah, language. yeah. The ESV says practice sin. Yeah, there, there you go. And, right. And, and, and yeah, so we're going to take a, a, a little deeper look here. We're going to dig deeper uh, into this passage itself and, and the original text, and um, hopefully we can gain some good insights into the meaning. So let's look at, uh, let's look at 1 John uh, 3, verses 4 through 10 in a different and, I believe, better translation, at least of, of this passage. Um, so here it is again in a different translation. Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. 
No one who remains in him sins continually. No one who sins continually has seen him or knows him. Little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. No one who has been born of God practices sin because his seed remains in him and he cannot sin continually because he has been born of God. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God for the one who does not love his brother, sorry, nor the one who does not love his brother and sister. So that's the, um, the NASB 2020 version. So I, I really appreciated uh, Steve's handling of this passage um, when, he, when he was preaching two weeks ago. He rightly pointed out that, that the verb sins in verse 6 has the sense of sins continuously. And in fact, as I just met this version I just read, the NSB 2020 adds the word continually in italics, um, both in verse 6 and verse 9. And I'd like to take a little more in-depth look at the Greek words used in this passage. So if you're reading from the NASB, the ESV, as you mentioned, um, or the Net Bible, anywhere you see the, the verb practice or the phrase makes a practice, uh, it is translating a form of the Greek verb poiel, which can be translated as do, perform, practice, make, carry out, cause, and a variety of other senses depending on the context or what words it's used with. Um, here I believe that practice is a good translation since it gives the sense of doing something habitually. Um, and sometimes this is in the form of a, a present participle, ha uh, poion, I can write these on the, well, I don't know if you guys, if you can't read Greek, it doesn't make any difference to you. So, um, but uh, so, so maybe I won't. Um, but um, sometimes the form of this, this present participle ha poion, the one practicing or uh, the one who practices, and sometimes it's just a simple present tense verb poie or practices. Um, How do you spell that in? Well, so it's, it, okay, in tra transliteration, uh, in, in English letters, yeah, so it's, the, the verb is, um, it, um, it's like this, where that's a long, poiel, and then, and then so um, transliteration would be ha, uh, the participle, poion, and then, trying to take Greek in college. And he dropped it. Poyer. Um, yeah. So it looks different in, yeah. My but. husband tried to take three. And then I <laughs> so, languages. So anyway, that's. It was hard. It was basically do, make, perform, practice, on a, like, a, again, a whole list of, of, of glosses. Oh, I didn't even turn that on. Um, <laughs> so, 
but they're both they're both present tense, and I guess that's that's the that's the important part. But I think the verb itself, when you when you put this verb with the other with the with the noun sin, it you know it, it does change the meaning. Um, so where the NASB twenty version translates sin continually, the places where it added this word continually, it's actually translating the present tense verb hamartane uh, from hamartan, which means to sin. It's the verb to sin. So. Um, or in the case of one who sins continuously, the present participle, ha ha martanon. So it's, it's in, in all these cases, there, there are present tense verbs or present tense participles. Um, and they have the sense of a, a, I believe anyway, of a customary or habitual action. In other words, actions that characterize a person's life. Um, so Steve described it well when he said that true Christians will not continue in a lifestyle of disobedience to God or have an entirely sinful orientation of life, as unbelievers do. Uh, now, there are many different uses of the present tense in Greek, and not all of them indicate uh, customary or habitual action. But the context here um, and the broader context of Scripture indicate that this is a proper understanding in this case. Um, some scholars take it here to be a gnomic present. I will write that for you. It's G-N-O-M-I-C, uh, uh, gnomic present. Um, but, well, let me first say, that, that, that means that it's, it's used to describe a general timeless truth or truism or a proverbial statement. In other words, something that is generally true. But I think in that case, it would be saying essentially the same thing, that, that the lives of, of genuine Christians are not characterized by a sinful lifestyle. Saying that's generally not true of Christians. You know? So whether we're taking it as sinning habitually as a, as a way of life, or that you're just not characterized, I think, I think it's still saying the same thing. Um, Another argument in favor of understanding these present tense forms as describing customary or habitual action is the fact that John repeatedly uses the form, forms of this verb poiel, uh, which occur six times in this passage with the noun form of sin and is translated practice in the, in the uh, NASB, ESV, and NET. So now many tra translations simply translate this combination as the verb to sin. They just say sins, right? We, we, well, uh, the one that I read before, the Legacy Standard translated, uh, translated poel as to do, basically, does, does sin, right? Um, RSV translates it as commits sin. But many just, just say the one who sins um, instead of practices sin or makes a practice of sin. Um, so, um, but if that's what John intended, he could have simply used uh, forms of the verb hamartano. He didn't need to use this, this verb at all. He could have left the verb to sin standing on its own. And so, to say the same thing, so I believe John used this verb for reason, and I believe that reason was to describe a, uh, habitual or regular 
practice of sin as a lifestyle. I think you know, that's, otherwise we have to ask, why did he choose to use this, this verb instead of just saying the verb to sin? And I thought Steve did an excellent job in a sermon two weeks ago in acknowledging that, that Christians are capable of committing all kinds of sin and often struggle with certain besetting sins, but their general orientation is obedience to God. And they respond to their sins differently than unbelievers, feeling broken over it and repenting. Um, so that was very good. And that's, and that's um, and I, and I, and I, again, I think his handling of this passage was, was right. And um, I found it to be a very encouraging sermon. If you heard it, if you didn't hear it, I encourage you to download it and listen to it. Um, Last weekend, I was in Pennsylvania for the funeral of an aunt um, whom God used to bring me to, to faith. Um, and while I was staying with my brother, I got into a, a great theological discussion with his son-in-law. And during the course of that discussion, we, we, were, we got talking about people and their lifestyles and, you know, and, and those who claim to be believers and sort of where do you draw the line and how do you know if someone said, you know, we, we Christians always want to be able to, to say, yep, that person's a Christian or that person, you know, you know we, we want to, right? We want to, be, you know, and sometimes we just, you know, we got to leave that judgment up to God, but um, sometimes we, we, we don't. Sometimes it's very obvious, right? Um, but uh, what came to mind um, was a, an illustration that a professor had given to me years ago, and I'm going to give you guys that illustration too. So, um, when Christians think about whether or not people are saved, we tend to visualize it with a with an in group and an out group, right? Like you know, your um, believers are in the in group, having having made it into the inner circle via genuine saving faith. So like, so they've crossed that invisible line from being unsaved into saved, right? And so so we so we might picture. I don't know. You you, you maybe haven't. Uh, Erase it. Um, uh, maybe you haven't pictured it that way. But so, so if you if you if you try to diagram it, here's here's God, and and um, and so there's this. You know, you've got you've got people, and they're around here, and these little different dots, and um, but so there, there's somewhere there's this there's this line that they that they cross, it's almost like a fence, you know, if you're in the fence or you're outside the fence. So this fence is, represents represents uh, belief, right? Saving faith, you know, you've, uh, at some point you've trusted in Christ. If you, if you haven't trusted him, you're still outside the, the fence. So this is the group that's saved and the group, you know, and um, sometimes we tend to, to, to view it like that, right? Um, I don't know, maybe you've never viewed it like that. <laughs> you probably never diagrammed it, but, but, but you kind of think, okay, there's, there's a group that's saved and there's a group that isn't saved, and there's a, there's a sort of invisible line that you need to cross. You, you, and, and, and the Bible does talk about that in places, right? You, you've crossed over from death into, into life. Um, but in some ways, it might be helpful to look at it differently. And I'm going to, and uh, this professor um, kind of gave it that way, gave this different view where you've got. Um, it's really a matter of orientation towards God, and, and um, so you've got you've got people who are 
who are heading towards God, who are being drawn towards God, right? They're, they're believers. Um, and then you've got people who are going away from God, you know. And, you know, we can start out, like, you might start out here, you're going away from God, but then you get turned around, and now you're, you're going towards God, but you're, you're way back here, you know. And you, you're not very close to God, and your, your lifestyle may reflect that in some ways, you know, you don't, you don't change um, overnight, you know, it, it takes a while, and, you know, and, and you're not always necessarily, even as, as believers, we might be, might be going towards God, and we get blindsided by something, we get something kind of sidetracks us, and we're, and we're, and we maybe, maybe we're going this way for a little while, or we're, you know, or, or, or whatever, you know, and, um, we're going through a time, and maybe maybe there's a time when we actually turn around. We're starting to go the other way, and then we need to, you know, turn back. And um, and you know, our path to God may may end up looking like a squiggly line, you know. By the time we're all done, if you trace if you traced it, uh, and and we can't, you know, when we're saved, God reaches out to us, right? He He first loved us. He chose us, and He did a work inside our hearts. And so, like. Wherever we are on this map, some some internal orientation has changed, even if there's a point in which we are really not going in the direction of that internal orientation. God knows who's gonna who's going to, to come to Him eventually. But but the, this model can be a little helpful in that it talks about your orientation of life, your sinful orientation, or your or your orient your oriented toward toward God. Um, yeah. Um, and I think, in, you know, in general, we can tell who is oriented. Like, like, like First John tells us, you know, you, the, the sons of darkness and the sons of light are, are evident, right? You know, you can, in general, you can tell who is oriented towards God and who's oriented away from God. And in many cases, it'll be very evident as people who are completely oriented away from God and, um, and running away in open rebellion, right? So, um, and then, uh, but... As we said, who is and who is not a true believer may not always be evident to the casual observer. If, you know, if you're, if you're just meeting somebody, you can't always tell. Somebody can be having a bad day. They can be, you know, you don't really know. Um, you know, every, everybody starts out in a different place, too. You know, you mean we can, and we as Christians are, are famous for making judgments about people, you know, <laughs> they, they look different, you know, somebody with all these piercings and tattoos and, you know, and whatever, you know, we... Uh, not to say anything about any of you who uh, have tattoos or, <laughs> but but you know we 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 can we can judge people based on these external things, and we can we can even see people, you know Christians don't always exhibit wonderful behavior. We, we saw in this, you know, in this text, if if you say that you're without sin, you deceive yourself, right? Because all of us as Christians do sin at times, and if someone sees us on our sinful days or whatever whatever we're we're doing, you know. They might make the wrong assumption that we are not a believer, and um, so I think, um, yeah. And even Christians may stray for a time, but will eventually turn back to God. So over time, however, I think it it should be obvious um, by the orientation of one's life. Really, um, you know, what what is the orientation as you, as you observe over over time a person's lifestyle? Um, but I thought that was a helpful helpful um, illustration. I thought it kind of
tied in with the whole, and what, what Steve was saying too about the, um, how a believer still has this, this orientation of life, and not a sinful orientation, but, but he's oriented towards God versus the unbeliever who's, who, who's oriented away from God. And, and um, yeah, and, and the two groups respond very differently to um, when they sin. We're one, one turning to God in repentance and uh, feeling sorry for the, their sin, while the other um, has no remorse and just continues on in the sin. So, um, yeah, that's all I really have for you today. And I don't know if there's, if it brought some questions. I mean, God convicts you, right? And you know you need a savior. You know you can't save yourself. Right. And and you have no idea how really bad a sinner you are. Right. Mm -hmm. And the longer you walk towards God, the worse you realize you are. And so somebody could be way out here as a new believer doing stuff they don't even know. Is God's got to take them through that process of right. training and teaching them what sin really is. Right. And they can be way out here in outer Mongolia, and we're sitting, you know, if you walk longer, it's, you know, it's their direction. They're going that way as fast and as best as they can and as God teaches them. Mm -hmm. It's so wrong to judge them. And yeah. I remember Jim telling me, and I thought this was the craziest thing, but when he got saved, he and Pete Maravich ran a basketball camp at Clearwater Christian, and they called themselves the Cussing Christians. Oh. <laughs> they had the foulest mouth. Oh. Both, you know, Jim played basketball in the projects in Indianapolis. Mm. And, you know, they had those, and then just, and you would never have known necessarily, but God convicted both of them right. at the same time, mm. and then they had each other to hold each other accountable. And I'm sure somebody... If they ever heard that, would have said, why are these guys doing this camp here? Mm -hmm. If anybody had ever heard them. And yet, you know, God was moving them and he was teaching them. And so this was really helpful to me in terms of my own failings, but being not so quick to judge others. So thank you. That was really good. That's right. God, that's a good point. God has to convict each of us of our sin. That, you know. And and sometimes we've got so many sins that he's got to gonna have to deal with them one at a time, right? So deal with deal with this one first, and then you know that one is maybe not as you know, right? So yeah, and as we do, and as we grow closer, then we realize, oh, all these things that we never thought because God wasn't dealing with us before. He had to deal with the big stuff, and we get we as we grow closer, then we then we become more aware of the sin. We become more aware of our pride, more aware of all all that stuff, and you realize, oh man, I'm. I'm really rotten, right? I'm not, I'm not nearly as good as I thought I was, you know. Right? When you talk about the diagram, I've seen it where before that someone had put a, the numeral eight, okay? So you think of the... the Infinity symbol. And that the top of the eight is where God is. And sometimes it's our... It's our walk with God and we go like down to the bottom of the eight. That's where all our sin is. And the... The more we go, it will always be perpetual going. It will always, on this side of earth, you know, have sin. But hopefully that top of that eight will become bigger when Christ becomes bigger in our life. And the but bottom will become smaller. <laughs> yeah. So if that, that diagram reminds me of the 
the eight that it's just this perpetual mm -hmm. thing. So you say, or so you start out with it being, with it being, kind of like this, right? Yes. You've got, you've got God here, and then it's, it's moving towards, towards this where you, you, yeah. Basically. Well, the the arrows will just go down to because your sin is down. So you go around the loop. Huh? Yes. Yeah. 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 One one of the translations. I'm not sure if it was a better translation or even, but I believe it mentioned abiding, and my heart is convicted of Jesus teaching unless you abide, and Jerry Bridges teaches that's the vital union. And when I first read it. What's he mean, July 15? Yeah. And he brought attention to uh, unless the branch abides continually, yeah. relates in a dependence on God, then there's not through the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And that passage points out if, if people don't bear the fruit, the Abba is looking for the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, it's not this work of righteousness or that work of righteousness, it's living by faith in Him, not self. And I don't know how to fit in these various diagrams, but and, and part of that is the the Matthew principle. You know, we are prone to judge each other, but Jesus clearly teaches that sin right there. That's pride. He says, um, "Was it Matthew seven? It's in the um, Sermon on the Mount. Um, judge not, be not judged." You hypocrite! First, get rid of it. And when Steve taught decades ago on Matthew, he said. That log in our eye is self-righteousness. Yeah. We don't have any of our But That's unless right. we abide, it won't be there. And yeah. it seems to me his righteousness is based on his love through us. Which first John's all about love of God to others, not the love of ourselves to others. Yeah. Yeah, I think John, well, this this uh, 1 John 3, 6 talks about abiding. Um, it's uh, the... Legacy Standard uses abide. The older NASB versions use abide. Um, the 2020 version uses the word remains, you know, to, to remain in him, abide or remain. Um, I actually think a remain is a pretty good translation. Um, but it's, yeah, but this, you know, abide in me or remain in me. And I, uh, he does, talks about that in John 15. Um, Thank you, the good Lord, that uh, he, and the word of God, and 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 20, that it says the work of God, the word of God is capable of really getting us to see, to get everything out of us that is not good, and to see how sinners we are. I'm dealing with people in the Greek community, but they don't even know what sin is. Mm -hmm. right. they, they, they think the only sin is if you kill somebody, if you slaughter somebody, or somebody who's in jail for a long time, they're sinners and they're good, you know. So thank God that we are, and you very well explain it, the difference that it makes on the translation, which I pay a lot of attention, and, mm -hmm. and I'm thankful I'm in a church where we really reaching into ourselves deeper and deeper if we are right with the Lord. Not to have the guilt that we sinners because he's convicting us when we don't want to sin but we sin. There is a yeah. big difference, isn't it? 
to want to mm-hmm. sin and not to want to sin and not even always sinning sometimes. Yeah. But uh, I'm thankful that, uh, that everyone in this church who teaches, including you very well explain the difference that the, that the things that we should know. Thank you. Well, yeah, as we tend to we tend to see those external things as sins, right? We don't. It's the internal things that we don't that we sometimes overlook. <laughs> and uh... my mother, well, for a while I was in a very had a teaching position at a very legalistic church, and you know, no pants on women, no mm. long hair on men. It was all of the externals, and my mother said, and why don't they talk about caring for people mm. all this external stuff? Yeah. And it can be a stumbling, stumbling, stumbling block for unbelievers who see the people who look at externals and, yeah. and judge. And, I just just started the the men's uh, morning Bible study. I was starting this uh, book, uh, Leading in Love, I guess. Isn't it? I think that's what was, yeah. And uh, talking about the church in Ephesus, uh, you know, that was the, the, the warning. And they had they had right doctrine. They 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 couldn't stand uh, uh, heretics and all that. But but they lost their their first love. They lost the love that they had first early on. And uh, yeah, it's it's huge. It's important. <laughs> so anything else? I don't know how we're doing for time. Oh, I guess we're... Four. You know, there's a clock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I guess we're, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like... I don't have I eyes in the back of this classroom. Hey, it's time to go. And I guess, yeah, this is, we don't, we don't have a, a service to go to afterwards, right? So you can go as long as you want here, really, right? <laughs> but, um, yeah. When you're doing your translation studies in Papua New Guinea, I mean, this is a big deal because... You're you're translating from one you're translating from Greek and I'm assuming you're also translating from English to the languages of Papua New Guinea. How how do you go about this? How long does this process take? Because it seems like it's enormous. It's a long process. Um, as you can see, we haven't got <laughs> we're still not done. Um, but yeah, so yeah, so I can yeah, I'm happy to share uh, to answer questions about our ministry. Um, so that they, we start out with them with native speakers doing a first draft. So they they look at um, they they don't really know Greek, um, but they 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 have some understanding of English. They have English translations they can use, but they also have the trade language, the Melanesian Pidgin, and that that language they can understand a lot better. So they um, some of them end up relying more heavily on that, which is fine because it's actually a lot closer grammatically to their own language and and ways that they express things. And so they can start with a draft that's based on that or based on that with, you know, looking at English too. Um, and then we, then I take a look at it and I'm, I look at the Greek and I'm, you know, looking and, you know, yes, you, you come up with these, you, you've seen the differences in translation just now. So like this version translates this way, this version translates it this way, which is the correct way. So then you kind of have to study it. You got to look at and look at translation resources and say, what's, what's the best way to do this? You know, I mean, I mean, if if you can keep, obviously there are things like you don't you don't get into theological issues if you don't have to. I mean, you you want to if you if you can do a straightforward translation with, without having to explain anything, you know, like 
that's that's great. But sometimes there are ambiguities, or sometimes there are things which you just can't translate into another language unless you know exactly what it's saying. Is it saying this, or is it saying this, or is it, you know? Um, and so you have to really you have to look at the resources. We have exegetical helps. Um, a couple that we rely on um, a lot are the translators' notes, which our own organization puts out. Uh, so, so scholars in that organization, um, they, they've uh, written these different notes on the different books in the, in the Bible. And then you've got uh, United Bible Society has uh, uh, handbooks for translators too that, that help, um, you know, just... <coughs> Those, those are the two that we look at most, but there's other, other resources as well, just to sort of get a feel for what it's saying. And, you know, obviously I look at the Greek as well, and, um, and then just sort of, you have to make a decision. Sometimes you have to put a footnote in there with an alternate possibility or, you know. But, yeah, a lot, a lot of times there's some things that we can leave ambiguous in English. Like they're ambiguous in the Greek, they can be left ambiguous in English, which are... English and Greek are in the same language family, believe it or not. They're, they're both Indo-European languages, whereas Adzra, the we translate is an Austronesian language, and it's, it's very different. It doesn't do a lot of, it doesn't have passive forms. It doesn't have a lot of the things that, that we have. And so when you translate, you just, a lot of times you have to, you have to make a decision on that before you, before you can translate. And you just pray that you've made the right decision, you know, because, and, and as we've seen today, like these translations are different. There is no perfect translation. And then as a translator and as a, as a student of Greek too, like I, I do write New Testament readings out of Greek every day. And I, um, and, you know, so I, I, I get particular about translations too. I look at it and I think, well, that, tra that translation did a good job there and did a lousy job there, or did, you know, I like the way that's translated. I have not found a perfect translation. And, and, and there's no perfect translators. And so, I mean, that, that gives me some assurance. You know, I don't, you know God's not going to judge me too harshly for <laughs> getting something wrong, you know. It's like, I don't think so. Anyway. Why do they choose Greek versus, like, Latin? As a, as a language to write the New Testament in? Yeah. You're going to have to ask God that one. I, think. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it was... It was at that time, it was more of a, it was more broad, more widely spoken. Latin, Latin, really. I mean, it was the Roman Empire, but in the early stages of the Roman Empire, Greek still was the really was the lingua franca. It really was the the language of wider communication through most of the the Roman Empire. And Latin, Latin was making inroads, but it wasn't until later that Latin kind of took over as a as a main as a language. I humbly can say, not because I'm Greek, and I say it humbly, that the Lord selected their language or made their language for a purpose, the Greek language. Like the word that you mentioned, Pavi, which, which says, it doesn't say don't sin, it says Pavi. I mean, cut it off, cut it off, don't sin. Mm. But it says, it doesn't say do not sin, it says Pavi. That means cut it off, complete, mm. block it, mm. so you don't sin. Mm. You know, and, and, and it is a lot of words, just like the, 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 the words that we see and the blessings, when it says, the Lord says, bless those who we were talking about with Brother Dave. Blessed be. The Greek language, the Greek word is not blessed. 
It's Macarius. Macarius. You cannot translate it in English. It's fortunate or happy. Happy, fortunate kind of, or, yeah. It's, yeah, it's ever, everlasting. Macarius means somebody who's, who's been blessed forever. He's mm -hmm. everlasting blessing. I mean, it is a blessing in a way, and it's good explaining it's blessing, but it directly trans cannot be translated. There's a lot of words that, Greek words that they have, a lot of meanings. It's possible too that the Greek uh, words have, the meanings have changed and evolved over the years some, like from from Koine Greek to, to modern Greek. You know, right, uh, yes. Just like English. English, does, English changes, like yeah. If you have the King James, I grew up on the King James, Suffer the little children to come to me. Yeah, yeah. Let them. Suffer means <laughs> suffer. <laughs> Put up with them, allow it, right? You can kind of you can kind of see the, the the connection, but it's yes, it's not, not the way we speak, is it? Yeah. All, all that amounts to is for us to understand what the scripture I mentioned says in Second Timothy that the word of God can give us all that we need to develop ourselves the way the Lord wants us to be developed uh, with education and also most of our understanding the Bible because the Lord can take somebody from from be a little dummy and make a, a, a amazing <laughs> person out of it, a Christian, mm -hmm. a, 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 so to say. And, and it can be somebody who's went through three, four uh, universities and not understand what the Lord is saying. So that is the, the goodness of the word of God and using what he's given us. Mm. And I again humbly say the Greek language, it's reads of understanding and mm. it's very well translated mm. in the Bibles. Mm. I see quite a bit of difference in the Greek. You, know, you look at First John and and John, and the Greek is a much different level than what you look at Very Luke nice. or or Peter. First Peter, you know, like the the levels of Greek are different. John is easy to read in comparison to to some of the other authors. Luke yeah, Luke is harder. Luke's much harder. I do Bible Hebrews is hard. You know, the author of Hebrews. I do Bible studies two times a week in different homes for years now, and. And I do one uh, day a week in the Greek, uh, in the Greek language, and one in English. And when, when I do the English Bible study, I use the Greek Bible. I'm reading it from it and explain it in English mm -hmm. the best I can. Right. I'm not uh, from university, <laughs> you know, somebody was so highly educated. But I think the Lord is just giving me all that I need to explain. Well, the Lord used plenty of people that weren't educated, <laughs> formally educated, right? Yeah. yeah. Ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth, the truth being a person, not some abstract thing. Right. I mean, you can have a lot of Bible knowledge and not have a personal experience of the presence and love of Jesus Christ. Right. It's, it's so sad. Yeah. Yeah, and there's a lot of educated people that completely miss the truth entirely. Yeah. 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 Whether, whether they have Bible knowledge or not. I'm happy to entertain more questions while we're, or, or comments. While we're here.
But Did we're you about ever to see the Greek text. There's this Greek textbook they used at Claremont Christian College by G. Gresham Machen. Hmm. Even Never. the English in there to explain stuff is another language. Well, that was the one they were using in the early. Well, my husband was a graduated from Clearwater Christian College in 1980, and he tried to take Greek. Well, English is, he's not a grant. He says, he had a paper at HCC that said, your ideas are great, but your grammar is atrocious. <laughs> but he has this, but, and then you take Greek. It took him, you know, he decided. But the, the textbook was mentioned, and it was really hard. And mm -hmm. then, then I, they changed to another textbook in the later years. I, I never took Greek at a Bible college. I, I took it at um, a secular university, and it was classical Greek. And that textbook was horrible too. It was it was it was written for um, written well for I think Phillips Exeter Academy up in. What? It was written for Phillips Exeter Academy, like a prep school up in New England. Where that when when prep school students all had to take Greek and Latin and stuff and so, but it just it just didn't explain things well and I said you know like learn the second declension or what you know you just it's like it doesn't explain what all that means okay well, tell a bit more like that the chapters were just a few pages long and it's like it gave you all these forms and things to memorize, but it didn't really explain how they worked and you know and that's what I kind of needed and um, later on of course I had linguistic training and that. That helped a lot, just with under, you know understanding a lot of the terms that I had. And then I had a refresher course in Ukrapa, two weeks. And I'll tell you, in that two weeks, I think my Greek like went from down here up to you know. Um, but then I started reading it regularly, and and there were textbooks that they used there that I that I got, and um, they were they explained it so much better. And it was textbooks for for Bible colleges, like Mounts is one of them. Um, Mounts, if you've heard of him, and then, and then there's one that we, what's the guy's name? I forget right now, but um, one that is, he's a British guy who's taught, he, he wrote this textbook to teach people in Africa, and it's one that we used in Papua New Guinea to, uh, to, do, to teach Papua New Guineans Greek, and it, and it vo avoided going into all the technical terms, but it would say how this is used and what it means, what these forms mean, and the and it talked about the like present continuous action and stuff without using those terms. It's like this is ongoing, you know, and 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 so it was actually quite. I think it was a good um, a good way to go about it, and um, I'll remember eventually what the what the guy's name was. But I see it's already twelve, and not so Hen not Henley. No, um, it's not. Um, it'll come to me, but. <laughs> Um, anyway, uh, you know, I, I have more of these moments these days. Where like, oh, 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 oh. I have a question. I took a perspectives class, and they were talking about Bible translation and how some translators will change what's in the Bible to meet more of the context of the culture, such as like building yeah. your house upon a solid rock versus sandy grounds. And it was something like that where they had modified it because mm -hmm. culturally it was not safe where the rocks were or something. Is, mm -hmm. that, is a, that something you run across or is it just not very often? Or I mean, you, you kind of have to do, yeah, okay, the solid rock is talking about a solid foundation, right? Yeah. And so you kind of have to, 
yeah, I mean, I don't uh, remember exactly how we translate that now, but I know that we, you know, we we talked about, yeah, and there's in fact both those. There, the, Jesus talks about that in two different places, and one one it's on the rock, and uh, yeah, I, I forget. Yeah. There, there's differences in those two different descriptions as well. But we, yeah, you kind of have to use a picture that will somewhat work in the culture. You know, like this. This is a, you know, you build it on f solid ground, on solid, yeah. Because they put they put posts down in the ground, right? You know, and so like you put a post on a rock, it's got, you know, the, it's like in the Greek, the rock is a huge rock that they cannot be moved. Right. Right. Where where the world. Uh, that it's not a rock, but it's a storm. It's a smaller storm. It yeah. can be taken away from the water. Right. It can be pushed away from the water, you know. Right. So I guess that's where they're talking about. Yeah. But you always have to make those kind of translation decisions. Whether you know, There's always some, you know, like, okay, how do we express this in a way that makes sense, but still still carries the, the correct meaning, the, the meaning of the intended, yeah. So I'll have to look and see what we did in that one. Uh, yeah, but anyway, uh, yeah, feel free to talk to me afterwards. I'll, I don't want to keep people here, so um, why not pray and close us, and, uh, and then you can be free to go. Heavenly Father, I want to give you thanks for this group here today, and and the good discussion we've had, and thank you for your word and and uh, your guidance through it. And as we struggle to understand sometimes and to learn and and to deal with our own sin in our lives, and uh, thank you, Lord, for your your love for us, your forgiveness through Jesus, uh, your patience with um, with us who are weak vessels and. Um, we, we give you praise, we give you thanks, and we, we thank you that our salvation is secure, not because of what we've done, but because of what Jesus has done on our behalf. We pray in his name. Amen.